This is Nerd Podcast Radio, brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. Check out and support us on Patreon for tons of content, including a bonus episode for each episode. If you'd like to reach out to us, the best way to do that is our Nerd Podcast Radio Facebook page, where we share all sorts of nerdy stuff. You can also find us on Instagram, at Nerd Podcast Radio, and on Twitter, at Nerdcast Radio. Don't forget to review us on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Reviews are important as they help our podcast grow. Thanks for listening, everyone. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio, your nerd home away from home. Welcome to Nerd Podcast Radio. This is your host, Super Vegan Brian, and I am joined by Kurt Rusty Smartberka. Hola. David Chuthick. Hey, everybody. <laughs> and we have a very special guest today returning for the second time to our podcast is um, Starfinder developer and writer Jason T- um, Tondro. Hi. Tondro? 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 You got it right the first time? That's cool. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get it wrong at the end, probably. <laughs> I apologize in advance. Um, for listeners who don't know you, uh, Jason, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, I I am a developer on the Starfinder tabletop role-playing game. So I I make Adventure Path volumes. Uh, uh, I was the lead developer for the Fly, Fear, Die Adventure Path, six volumes, which just the last volume came out, I think, last month. Um, I've also written a bunch for Pathfinder, second edition, and Starfinder, including Show Must Go On, the first volume of the Extinction Curse AP. And uh, I wrote a volume for the upcoming Mammoth Lords, uh, AP, which uh, I, Quest for the Frozen Flame. And then I'm currently working on a third Pathfinder Adventure Path volume that hasn't been announced yet, so I can't say anything. Ooh. Um, yeah, super secret. Um, and I, I, and uh, I've also, I, I make I make role-playing games on my own. Um, uh, I wrote Arthur Lives, an urban fantasy RPG using the Fate system, Fate Core. Um, and uh, I've written for, you know, third-party D&D stuff and icons and superheroes. Anyway, and uh, and I'm a, a PhD in medieval and Renaissance literature. Um, I wrote a book on uh, called Superheroes of the Round Table, all about connections between medieval literature and superheroes. The superhero story. You uh, would, you I, could say that you're a Renaissance man. You know, uh, uh, and and I have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I want to be like the movie Renaissance man. Isn't it like Danny DeVito in that movie? Yeah, yeah, like he's so great in that film. I want to be that Renaissance man. All if right, I, fine. I doff my cap at the good sir. <laughs> I doff my cap. At the, All right, quick nerd check. Yeah. Raise your hand if you have not heard of the movie Renaissance man or seen it. I am so proud of my the, the people <laughs> on this show. Of course, come on. He's got that gift where I was like, my work here is done, but he's leaning out the window. I, used to... <laughs> I, I, I have to say, out of all the movies about a teacher coming in to be with like troubled youths, There's that so was many. one of the best ones. Yeah, yeah. I like what? it better than Dangerous Minds. Well, it's interesting because it's the it's the military academy one, right? Like it's the it's that plot, yeah. which yeah, we've seen a lot. 
But then it says, okay, let's take this lit guy, and a, a nerdy, a nerdy intellectual, and put him in a military academy, and it becomes sort of a country mouse, city mouse story. Mm-hmm. Where the two of them are trying to find out how to connect with each other, and it's interesting. I like it a lot. I haven't seen Nades. I got to go watch that movie again. You guys make it's a good one. Movie. Yeah, I'm going to have to pick that one up again too. Well, <laughs> it's cool that we brought you on, and you are into so many amazing things because our topic today is 100% open. We're going to talk about. Yeah. Okay, good. A bunch of stuff. So, but first, yes. But first, we're going to play everyone's favorite game, What's Nerdy With You, where everybody talks about the nerdiest thing they've done in the last two weeks, and we vote using the patented Mike Myler widget system. Um, so, because our tradition is because our guest always goes first. So, Jason, what was nerdy yeah. with you? I'm not going to beat the last time I was on. Last time I was on, I got a, P- I got a PS5 that weekend. <laughs> Um, what is nerdy with me? Um, I just got finished recording a a, 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 lot, a a podcast that I'm doing on the new Loki television show. Oh, so nice. I'm really into Loki and I'm recording a show about it. We're kind of analyzing it week by week and kind of, you know, trying to figure out what the show's trying to say and how it's working. Um, is everyone on here up to date on Loki? Yeah, I don't want to spoil anything. Uh, yeah. I'm not, but go ahead. Spoil okay. away. Yeah, no, well, J- David is really fine with having crap yeah, spoiled for go him. for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm going to watch it anyways. Go for so it. So listeners, we might have spoilers about Loki up to yeah, episode four right now. Um, sometime during the episode, we're not going to be able to give you any kind of time code whatsoever. So just be aware <laughs> that at some point, we'll probably say the word spoilers. So you could skip ahead like a few minutes and uh, uh, hopefully yard. miss it. But, you know, or you, you can know just this pause this go watch loki and then continue yeah <laughs> so an you're, option too. um can you share what that podcast is i'd love to oh yeah sure well we're on the banff podcast network all right so mike lafferty's banff uh uh publishing uh fainting goat publishing company and we have bamf uh Banff podcast network and we i do a bunch of kind of a, a several different shows there we do like a star trek uh analysis show once in a while called space force we do a um um we do that this Loki show and also uh relevant to my Starfinder stuff. I do these developer deep dives on on the BAMP network where I I take one of the volumes of Fly Free or Die that I just finished developing and I kind of walk through how it got made and what got left on the cutting room floor and changes and 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 and, and kind of what I learned from the development process. So if any of you out there are like interested in getting into this line of work, if you if you want to get if you want to know what a developer on an RPG does, then I, I I would point you to that series because that's the whole point of that show is to sort of show you kind of what a developer does. And we talk about like how I how I write outlines and then I commission the freelancers and and how turnovers work and milestones work and 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 then what I do once I get the manuscript from the freelancer and then all the the post development stuff like how we oh, there there are a lot of people like myself that love behind the scenes stuff like that. I, I'm one of those people. Like <laughs> yeah. 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 I love knowing how the suit gets That's made. right. That's right. And, and also frankly, I, I, we're going way off topic here, but but uh, welcome to one of these episodes. Yeah, the, the, you know, I've been a developer at, at Starfinder for a year and a half now, but there are still some things at that company that I've only ever done once because it just the, the creative process is so long. Like by the time you start a develop you start an AP 
and you spend six months of your life on it, but it doesn't come out for six more months, right? It's got to go to China and get published, get printed, and then get on a boat. And, and by the time it hits gaming stores, and then you, and then there's a lot of stuff that you don't do for an AP until the very end of the process. Like when you do like marketing and you make the trailer, you, this is weird. You would think the trailer would come first, but the trailer uses art from all of the published volumes. So you can't make the trailer until the book is done. And like the pawn sets and all kinds of stuff. So there, it's just really interesting. And then, so then I wanted to figure out kind of what I was getting out of that. I'm a guy that like, I learn when I can talk my way through something. Does that, does that make any sense? Like I kind of have to mm-hmm. talk about it out loud and kind of figure I, out. Yeah, what I, I do the exact same thing. Yeah. I, as I like to tell people, I need a big picture and then we <laughs> need to talk backwards. I need to go yeah. right down to the small part. Yeah. Yeah. And so I wanted to, I, I designed this developer diary series. It's kind of an like, opportunity for me to reflect on what I had learned in the process and kind of, because when you're so busy doing it, you often don't even think about it. Like, well, how does this work? You, you're just focused on, okay, this is due tomorrow. <laughs> right. And when it's all over, you can kind of go back and, and, and be thoughtful about it. And so that was kind of the point of all this. And I figured, well, I'm going to do all that for myself. I might as well do it for everybody. Yeah, that's kind of like when I'm writing articles and stuff like, and you have that deadline that you got to hit. It's one of those, it's like, okay, well, I have to say something about this movie or this, you know, whatever it is that I'm writing about. What do you write for? Uh, Grit Daily. Okay. And you do like reviews and stuff? Yeah, like uh, one of my big reviews was like the Joker review. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right on. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a while ago, but still. What did you you think of that movie? Huh? What did you think of that movie? I really liked the psychological concepts in it. Like, like for me, um, it was very much like, you know, not only like the commentary on society, but like his own like psychological break, like watching it happen and, and multiply. I really enjoyed it. You liked it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, but when I'm writing and I'm against a deadline, it's like, (laughs) I have to think I'm like, what am I trying to say about this? Yes. I liked it. Yes. There's so many pieces to it. Right. It's, but it's like, what, what are they trying to say in the movie and how did it come across to me? How do I present that in a way that, you know, grabs people's attention because you can read a hundred articles on one movie, but if, (laughs) if it doesn't grab your attention, right, you're only going to read the first paragraph and then you're done. So it's like having to rush through that process. And then when I finish, I go, okay, did, did I do that? Like, did I hit my point? And I have to go back and like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, okay. And it's just that deadline kind of like mess, at least it messes with me. <laughs> so I can't, I cannot even imagine writing reviews in an attention economy like we are in right now, right? Where, and especially in reviews where everybody is a reviewer, right? Like everybody with mm-hmm. Yelp and Amazon and, and, and Flickster is the Rotten Tomatoes is their own reviewer. So yeah. you're competing with like every American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For listeners and for Jason, um, if you want to find it, it's just Joker Reveals a Reflection of Madness is the name of the article. Okay. Yeah. And you can you can just you can you can literally Google the words grit daily joker review and it'll be the first one. Yeah, thanks, I, Brian, I, I didn't even remember where it was, but thanks. I'm very fast to Google. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it wasn't like I had it in my brain. I'm not that good. Um, I, yeah, way to break the uh, fourth wall there. I um, I do want to say before I move on to um, to David, um, it's good article. <laughs> it's very impressive. 
Why, thank uh, you. Um, David, what was nerdy with you? Um, I've actually had to start planning out for a homebrew campaign that I've been gestating with my friend Grant. My friend Grant and I battered back and forth of a homebrew campaign idea, and I finally got a group that wants to do it. So <laughs> I'm actually having to put some of this stuff down on paper. <laughs> So tell us about this game. What system is it? It's uh, it's fifth uh, fifth edition Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, and uh, the idea is is due to some magical mumbo jumbo, uh, a lich while trying to uh, harness uh, ultimate power summoned a portion of a demiplane to meet with Faerun, nice. and that demiplane just happened to be a chunk taken out of Anaheim, California, that <laughs> encompassed uh, Disneyland. That's where I grew up, you know. Oh, I know. Or you've said so before, I believe. But uh, yeah, yeah. so, so the idea is, is because of the the wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, magicy yep. wagicy. Yeah. Uh, everything has transformed. So it's Disneyland, but it's fifth edition Disneyland. Adventureland is actually a pirate cove. Uh, <laughs> and and the and the uh, uh, Sleeping Beauty's castle, the Maleficent's castle, is up on the hill at the very back, and the ancient black dragon that guards the place is. Uh, well, I am a sucker for adventure for for theme park adventures. Mm. The, the the whole idea of like an adventure in a theme park, I I I just dig the shit out of that. And, oh yeah, uh, I've been wanting to do one for Arthur Lives for a long time. But mm. uh, my my friend Grant, he originally wrote it for third edition. Okay, and then we updated it for three five. And then we started doing it for Pathfinder and then decided to do it for fifth ed instead. <laughs> I'm, it, it's amazing when those things finally come together. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. Does Grant still live um, in Vegas? Yes, he does. He is still currently in Vegas. I actually saw him for his birthday a couple of weeks ago. Well, it would definitely be a D ticket. They have to be pretty old to know what the D ticket represents. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I'm, I am aware. I, they didn't <laughs> exist when I was a kid, but I know no. what they are. <laughs> no. uh, um, my, my, my grandfather had a most mostly ripped book lit in his possessions that we found when going through them. We used to have a drawer because we lived so close. We had a drawer just filled with books. Oh wow! Unused A tickets and you know, <laughs> in them. Nice. Yeah. And Erica, what about you? So uh, my nerdy thing is that I acquired a uh, record player, like the whole system, the speakers, the amplifier, the Wi-Fi, nice. All of that. Um, uh, yeah, the speakers are like almost as tall as I am. They're huge. <laughs> um, but uh, I acquired that, uh, and I'm fixing it up and putting it together so I can play my records on it, so I can get rid of my little Victrola and really make my neighbors hate me. What will happen to your little Victrola? What will you do with that? I'll probably sell it to somebody. Pass it on to somebody who appreciates it. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. My uh, record collection is uh, growing exponentially, so um, I really enjoy records, and I need something really solid to hear them on, so yeah. That's... I mean, modern music just doesn't have that warmth, man. <laughs> do you uh, have do you have the I new just... tool? Do you have the new tool album on vinyl yet? No, no, I don't have that one yet. So I have all the other ones. Um, I even got like a limited print from like '92 or something like that. Nice. Um, yeah. So I like I like my records and I like to collect them and I like to listen to them. So yeah, I'm rebuilding 
a stereo system because like there's some pieces like we have to we have to redo the speakers um like update the the like get new foam and stuff and recover them and then um i had to order a new uh uh stylus for it and everything so you know well the payoff will be worth it. Mm-hmm. i'm very excited <laughs> good <laughs> Good. Very excited. Oh, and by the way, I now have a PS5 since the last time we talked. Huzzah! <laughs> you both suck. Hey, you want to know where I got mine? Sure. And they still have them because I think most people don't realize that they're still up and running is Sears online. Uh-huh. Like even though the stores are shut down, they still have the online oh, and they, ha- they have them in stock. Yeah. Good to know. At least as of last Saturday. <laughs> All right. Um, and Brian, what's the interview with you? So with podcasting, I feel like I have a weakness. Um, I've been feeling like there's so many good scripted content out there. Um, so I have been writing up some audio scripts to do, um, to do scripted videos, like, uh, not videos, um, audio for solo podcast stuff. Um, with no intention of ever actually like pr- producing them. I've just, I I've been, I've been recording some stuff. I've been writing some stuff. It's just, it really bothers me that I don't have the skill. So I've been practicing I and I figured it might help with this kind of production too. And maybe, you know, just practicing, writing it down and, and doing it, it helped me with my, my elocution and my voice and just, you know, repetition and practice. And maybe it'll help me with my editing skills since I'm doing it with myself. I can do some higher production stuff, but it's just, it's just been needling at me. So I've been just doing it as a hobby. Like once a week I record, I I write up something and I've been recording it and I haven't been putting it anywhere. I I just have the recording sitting on my hard drive. What, what kind of like, are these stories or like, Um, I've done one piece of narrative that was talking about um, experience I'd had in tabletop role-playing just like my own experience and my stories. It wasn't like I was playing out the game verbally. I wasn't trying to act it out, but I was like talking about what that experience was like and what some of the memories were like. Um, Another one I did was, this was inspired by something that came up in an episode. I started writing down every MCU movie from Iron Man on from memory. (laughs) Okay. Just doing um, a narrative synopsis. Okay, sure. Um, without looking anything up. Okay. And I recorded oh, I recorded the one for Iron Man and I recorded the one for um I skipped Iron Man 2, um, but I recorded one for Thor. Okay. Okay. Um and, but and don't be modest, Brian. Where is the Harry Dresden fanfics? Come on. Um, <laughs> you know, I should have used that as my nerdy thing. This one was more interesting to me, but the funny thing about that you mentioned that is, and I let this, I'll include this. Oh, God, I was joking. Um, no, I didn't write any. That's what you get for joking. No, <laughs> I, oh, Jesus, I was I joking. Was reading, I'm I was sorry. reading some Supernatural Dresden Files crossover fan fiction this week. Oh, nice. Um, and a really good one, too. It was... Um, the um i don't think this spoil this is maybe light spoilers because i'm going to mention some names that are in the books but it was the brothers from supernatural meeting dresden on demon reach 
And it was was based spoilers because I'm using the word demon reach, which doesn't come up until fine, whatever. So, um, that so it was it was after skit i can't remember the name of the story i just i i was interested in reading some fan fiction so i looked up a crossover fan fiction um and it was after do you believe in fairies on supernatural and um right after skin game so they were they were sent on a hunt hunting kappas and in um in the lake and they stumble across demon reach and what it was, was um, fairies had implanted the knowledge for them to go to Demon Reach so Harry would kill them. Uh, and of course, Harry didn't kill them. <laughs> um, but it was it was neat. It was really well written. It, it read like a, it read like an episode of Supernatural and like Justin Files. But it was also really cool seeing it from the brothers perspective. Yeah, because they were like. Who the heck is this powerful dude? And um, Castiel actually shows up at the end of the story and is like, this guy could have willed you out of existence. You are very lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I was joking. The the first fan fiction I ever wrote, (laughs) I was about 15 years old, I think, 16 years old. And I wrote fan fiction for the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Nice. Yeah. Do you still have it? No, no. no. <laughs> Which is just as well, because if I looked at it, I'd be completely mortified, right? But That's like the worst part, right? When you look at something you've written like years before and you're like, <laughs> I thought that was good. And I'm like, that's complete shit. So like I do that to myself <laughs> all the time. But you know, I mean, as a former writing professor, I mean, I taught writing for years. Like that's exactly the way we should feel. Like right, like we you can see how you've gotten so much better. So you know, in that way, in that way, it's good. You know, I was going through some notebooks once, and I found some poetry I wrote in my twenties, and was like, "Who the hell wrote this? This is really good." <laughs> I had the opposite reaction. I was like, uh, you, "You have a better that that's good for your self esteem. That's good. You keep I, doing." It. I remembered. Re- I remembered writing it. And um, it was like two in the morning and I was completely and totally exhausted. And it makes sense that I don't remember writing it. Yeah. See, I, I look at old maids and go, oh, God, when did I paint this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funny. Um, so every are... time I paint something and I show it to Brian, I'm like, well, it's not it's not where I want it to be. He's like, no, this is great. And I'm like. You're just trying to make me feel better. It's like, no, and I'm like, no, this is shit. See, I messed it up here and I messed it up here and I messed it up here. You I mean that's you kind always, of just Brian, but yeah. You always forget how honest I am. I, I if it was shit, I would tell you. Artists need support, man. Like the world is really good at giving us shit all the time, every day. Like we need those people that tell us we're awesome. I, I fully support this. I mean, I guess that's true, but I guess you're always your own worst critic as well. So that's exactly why you need other people to tell you how awesome you are. Hey, Brian, I think it's voting time, isn't it? It is absolutely voting time. There are four of us, so everybody gets five. Um, Jason, who do you give your five widgets to and why? Uh, Well, you guys all have pretty good stories. Like, this is like, I have to acknowledge the creative spirit here, like all around. So, uh, so I will give uh, one vote to each of the three of you, and then I have two extra, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I got to give those to the game, to the to, to David's game. Oh, because uh, thank you. Because I mean, I I appreciate all creative endeavors, but I kind of have to, you know, stick with the girl who brung me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, David. Oh man. Um, I'm going to give three to Jason because that podcast sounds like a lot of fun. And then I'm also going to give one to Erica and one to Brian because let's be democratic. No, I'm just kidding. Everyone had really geeky stuff and it's going to be, it's hard <laughs> to pick just one winner. <laughs> and then, um, Erica, uh, I'm going to give two to Brian and two to Jake and one to David Man, keeping it up to a horse race. Well, I appreciate what Brian's doing because it's going to be less work that I got to figure out at some point. So <laughs> that's a very good motivator. I love that. Like, I'm going to give you points because you are saving me work. Yes. I love yeah. when I get to just decide who wins. This happened last time. <laughs> <laughs> Your discretionary votes mean that the whole thing is it's like it's like whose line is anyway? Like the points don't even matter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I. <laughs> You're not going, supposed to know that. I am going, dude. <laughs> I am going to. I'm going to give it to David because it's uh, not just a game; it's a game that he's been trying to put together since third uh, edition. There you go. Yeah, we'll recognize that is a solid point. It's a lifetime yeah. achievement award, David. Uh, so, um, yeah, <laughs> did, did, just for time's sake, I I gave everybody points, but I gave David more, and he Yay. won. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Yeah. Um, I so our topic is open, but our our discussion round robin is um Jason, David, Erica, Brian. So um just to get this started, um I we don't have the opportunity to talk about shows that are live very often because there's always someone who's like, I haven't seen it, don't spoil it. But since David's cool with it, we've all seen it. Loki is a great topic. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna ask um Jason. Yeah. How how does it how does a fictionalized character like so Loki is a real mythological figure right yeah real and mythological yes. yeah so real a real unreal figure yes yeah he does in, exist. In, in our reality yeah. Loki is a mythological figure and Loki yeah. exists as a physical figure in the Marvel comics in the MCU yeah um how what does it take for because like a character like Loki yeah. Um, what does it take for that to work? I mean, you're an expert in this kind of thing. I mean, obviously there's like, you have to have a family friendly kind of, you can't get too crazy. <laughs> yeah, because you there, there's a, into a horse and fuck another horse. Uh, yeah. say, there's a famous story where Loki turns into a horse, has sex with a horse and then gives birth to a horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, how, do yeah. We do that? how do we square that circle? Is that your question? Yeah. That's yeah. A great saying. Well, so I'm going to I'm going to go off track for a minute, but I will come back. When I when I was working on my um my studies of Arthurian literature and superhero comics, in many ways it's it's a very similar problem, right? How do you take this mythological character or body of myth in the case of Arthur, right? Where you've got Lancelot and Morgana and Excalibur and the Sword and the Stone and the Holy Grail and all of these elements of this large myth. And this is true for not only, not just Loki, but the larger Norse myth, which of course has been used in comics for decades, right? For many decades. How do you adapt that into comics form? How, what form does that crossover take? Well, so I broke it down into a few different categories of the way that adaptation happens. Okay, first you have like literal adaptations where you write a comic book that is just the Loki story in comic book form, right? Like it's it's a it's a Norse myth, except we're drawing it into a comic book. Okay, so those are and there's those for Arthur too. Like there are straight up 
comic book versions, like sort of the sort of classics illustrated take, if you will. Yeah, right? like that's what I had when I was little. My mom got me, um, they're essentially comics of like all the great, yeah, like, yeah. great expectations, yep. all that, all the way down. Yeah. And a lot of work has been done on that kind of comic, the, the adaptation comic. There's a lot of, for, for many decades, not so much now, but for a long time, there was a lot of resistance to studying comics in the academic field because it was perceived as something that was kind of like light, right? It's not intellectually rigorous. So you're wasting your time if you're studying comics because it's just not hard enough, right? Which of course is total bullshit, but that, that, that was the stance. Well, if you're studying a comic book version of Hamlet, that's how you get around that, right? Okay, I'm studying a comic book, but it's a comic book version of Great Expectations, so I'm okay, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of, of early work done on that because it was kind of a safe space for scholars to study comics. Okay, so that's one, that's one category. And you do see that not so much with Norse myth, but sometimes, in fact, even in the pages of Thor, there's the, I don't remember the story now. It might be like Thor's 100th issue or something, or maybe his 10th annual. But there was this one for a while there where they took Thor and they, and, and they told stories about the original Thor, like with the red beard and where he, where he had like a chariot drawn by goats. Mm-hmm. And, oh, wow. and it, was, it was the mythological Thor, not the Thor we recognize from Marvel Comics. But this story was being told to the Thor in Marvel Comics. So, so sometimes you even see that, that, that kind of element in, even in superhero comics, they'll do a straight up adaptation. Okay. That's type one. Type two is what I call the toy box where they take like elements of the myth and they just play with it. Like they don't even pretend to be accurate, right? It's like, okay, great example of this is in the latest episode of Loki, there's a, there's a scene he's he's been captured by the tba right that the time variance authority variance authority yeah Yeah. and they imprison him in a moment of his own past and in that scene sif and for all of us who have wanted to see that actress as sif come back right we've been waiting years ever since thor 2 i think to see sif Mm -hmm. or maybe her appearance on, on shield when she had an episode on agents of shield well anyway sif shows up and she's furious with Loki because Loki has cut her hair. Mm-hmm. Well, this, of course, is a reference to one of the most famous Loki stories where he cuts off Sif's hair and, and they have to find, they have to persuade dwarves to make a new wig out of gold to, to replenish Sif's hair. Did just that, like indirectly lead to Mjolnir being made and all yeah, sorts of stuff? Yeah, yeah. sure, it totally did. So, so they, they, they'll reference it, but they don't really dwell on it. They don't really use it in any kind of real significant way. They mostly just put it in there as a kind of shorthand, right? Like it's a kind of, well, there's this big story here that we don't want to explain. So we'll just use this and you'll get it. And we won't have to say anything more about it, right? You see a lot of this in, in, uh, in a story. Let me see if I can think. Of, oh, well, since we're talking about Thor, let's stick with Thor. Okay. First issue of Thor, Thor's first appearance, Journey into Mystery something, 30, yeah, yeah. I forget what. Dr. Donald Blake is trapped in this cavern because Earth is being invaded by the stone men from Saturn, as, as one does. And, and he finds this stick on a stone. And he picks up the stick and he tries to lever a boulder out of the way and it won't move. So he slams the stick against the boulder and it transforms him into Thor. And written on the side of the, of the, of the hammer are these words. 
whosoever wields this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of Thor. Well, that's a reference to King Arthur's sword in the stone. Yeah. Whosoever wields, pulls this sword from this stone and anvil shall be right wise king born of all England, right? Like it's got writing with the same whosoever. It, it's, a, it's, an Arth, it's an Arthurian reference. And you'll just throw that in there and then not really get into it. You're just doing that so that the reader, who's maybe a 12-year-old kid, will feel like, oh, yeah, it's like King Arthur, right? Yeah. And that's all you, and that, you're just doing it because you don't want to have to explain it. You can just do this like, okay, it's like King Arthur. And because King, King Arthur brings all this baggage with it, you can just carry on, right? And so you get like, you know, Merlin, the Merlin's got magic gemstones that Fantastic Four have to go rescue. And why is it Merlin's gemstones? Because you've heard of Merlin. That's why. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just that simple, right? Um, or, uh, or Morgana Le Fay becomes, you know, Spider-Woman's nemesis. Why Morgana Le Fay? Because you've heard of her. That's why. And I don't need to explain her. Like, okay, it's magic. Let's go, right? My first oh, car great. was named Morgana Le Fay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. I, I would love to say editors documents at marvel because continuity has to i mean the, the writers can't possibly be expected to keep track of all the continuity that's going to be all in the edit you know uh certain editors were most famous for their encyclopedic knowledge of marvel lore so like they would go, you'd go to mark grunewald for example if you had some obscure question right and a lot of a lot of the writers would pride themselves on their encyclopedic knowledge to keep all that stuff straight. But yeah, you're right. A lot of it does come down to the editor, ultimately. All right, so that's so type one, strict adaptation. Number two, the toy box, right? Where we just use stuff. It's, it's, it's Excalibur. Okay, move on. Uh, step three is like, well, in an uh, where you take the old characters, but you tell new stories with them. This is in Arthur. This is the Return of the King story. Right. Where you like, OK, it's Arthur, it's it's Lancelot, it's Morgana, it's Guinevere, it's Tristan, it's Gawain, except it's the year 3000 and we're fighting aliens. And you laugh. But of course, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, oh, you made me think of Zelazny. Oh, no, it's, it's Camelot 3000. It's a 12 issue yeah. series that you're thinking of uh, that wonderful. Think, yeah, no, I, I know Zelazny wasn't the one you were talking about. Just you, yeah, you made yeah. me think of Zelazny yeah, right I mean, away because he did he did that um, Lancelot in the future. Yeah. Last Night of Camelot. I think Last Days of Camelot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. I mean, I, I my, my mind goes to anime. From Well, <laughs> back, in the, back in the 80s, DC, the limited series was brand new. The idea that you would do a book that was intentionally only six or eight or 12 issues long was a new idea back then. And DC did this 12 issue limited series, which they called a maxi series. Thank God we don't use that word anymore. But it was a maxi series. And, uh, and, and it was called Camelot 3000. And it was written by Mike Barr, who wrote Son of the Demon, the Batman story with Ra's al Ghul and... Uh, and he wrote The Outsiders for a long time. And it was drawn by Brian Boland, a fantastic British artist who still does covers. Well, anyway, and, and that's the story I'm talking about. We're like, okay, it's all the Knights of the Round Table. They all get reincarnated. It's the year 3000 and they're defending Earth against alien invasion. And, and it, it like tries to be relatively faithful to the characters of the myth, but it's using them to tell new stories in this new environment. And that's kind of where Loki as a television show fits. Like it's trying to, the, the show, the television show, it's trying to stay fairly faithful to the idea of Loki as the Norse god. He's the guy that cut off Sif's hair. He's the, you know, he's the trickster god, but it's trying to tell him in a new way, in a new environment. And um, 
And there was a fourth category, and I've forgotten what it is because it's been 10 years since I wrote that book. <laughs> but um, one of the, but the, 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 the neat thing, the thing to remember about comics, about these way these characters are portrayed in comics, is that it changes over time as you get a particular creative team. So like when Walt Simonson is writing Thor, the way that he adapts the Norse myth will be different than the way that, you know, Kirby wrote Thor. Kirby wasn't particularly all that interested in sticking to the classical myth. Like he, he was inspired by it. He creates Thor, but his Thor is a blonde. When like one of the most distinguishing features about Thor in the myths is that he's a redhead, right? Like sparks fly out of his beard. It's a big deal. Um, and so different writers will take these characters and use them in different ways over time. So it's very hard to generalize about Loki broadly, but you can talk about a particular creator's vision of Loki. And in this case, to bring it all the way home now, to talk about the show, this Loki is, is influenced by the myth, but it's also, more than anything else, it's influenced by Tom Hiddleston's portrayal of the character, right? Like Hiddleston. Yeah, at some at some point they got a that the the portrayals in bigger films and stuff have to factor in. Yeah, you know Hiddleston has just owned that character. Like he's really made it something distinctive. I don't think when they, I mean, go back to the first Thor film, right? Um, Kenneth Branagh directs it. Branagh is an experienced Shakespearean director and actor himself, and he he does it like a Shakespearean tragedy, like a family drama. Right. So you've got like the brothers and their friends, but they also become rivals and enemies. And it's very Shakespearean in that sense. And Hiddleston just owns it. The Thor films sometimes get a lot of flack for being kind of weak links in the Avengers series. But I I love those films unapologetically. That scene when when Loki comes to visit Thor, when Thor's in like shield jail, you remember when he like tries to break in and get his hammer? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's all bereft because he tried to pick up the hammer and it wouldn't move. And and Loki shows up and tells him, oh, no, like father's dead. Mother never wants to see you again. I'm king. You can never come home. And and Thor's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for everything I did. And I still love you. And 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 it's so touching. And Loki, of course, is lying his ass off in that entire scene. But he's so good at it. Right. Like, he's just so good. Um, so, so much as they have done with Thor, they have rewritten the character and tailored it to the actor's strengths. Mm-hmm. Hiddleston's ability to be charming while being sort of evil curious. <laughs> and, and, and they've really embraced that and, and, he, and they've made that character really, really unique. So, um, it's inspired by the myth, but it's not beholden to the myth, um, and the biggest that forced the uh, the biggest factor on it is the way that the television show is made, right? Um, I'm I'm talking a lot here, and I, no, and I, no, no, you're good, but, and but I I agree with you. The the more I study comics and 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 film and television, the more I become persuaded that the way the thing is made has a huge influence over the story and even what the thing is trying to say. Uh, in a comic book, you can do 80 years of Thor comics, right? Okay, we're not quite to 80 years yet, but like 60, we're close. We're, we're, getting, we're getting up there. Um, 
You can do 60 years of Thor comics and Thor looks exactly the same. Okay, but Chris Hemsworth is going to, he gets old, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And you can't pay him for more than a certain number of movies because he gets to be too expensive. And so the whole character has to change. And, and, and is he going to die or is he going to go off into space land by himself? Or is he going to get replaced by young Thor? Or what are they going to do, right? My point is just that the way that the films are made is different than the way comics are made. And so the story must also change mm-hmm. because of these production limitations, production requirements. And so that means that, for example, in, in the Marvel shows, because all the old actors are too expensive or too old and you have to age them out, you start creating new ways for new young heroes, right, to appear, which in the Marvel comics are second stringers, but in the Marvel shows become first stringers. The best example of this being the Falcon slash the new Captain. Mm. I I am really holding out hope that we can get one of two things. The second yeah. one is the one I hope for more. I'm hoping yeah. when Chris when Chris Hemsworth is ready to step out, we get Eric Masterson Thor. Oh, and Thunder Strike, right? Yeah. Yeah. Or um, Donald Blake Thor. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Not just the uh, not just the the nod to yeah. it. Yeah, like because Donald Blake exists in the MCU. He's, That's right. He's, he's Jane's ex. He's Jane's ex. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, Beta Ray Bill would be cool too, but yeah, full CGI character. There, there's, yeah, and and that's a good example. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, there, Marvel is going to keep Thor. They'll also have Thunderstrike, and they'll also have Beta Ray Bill, and they'll have the whole Thor core, right? Jane Foster as Thor, but they'll always bring Thor back because that's the trademark, that's the copyright, and that's the character that most people recognize. That's the one that's seared into popular imagination. But in films, that's not true. Like you can't, you can't just bring Chris Hemsworth back forever. And I'm fascinated by those differences, the way that the 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 films and the television cannot duplicate the comics. And so they must say something new. Uh, I find that shit fascinating. I mean, I know they can't bring Chris Hemsworth back forever, but uh, as a woman for the next 20 years, I think he's still solid. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. And and by then, they'll probably have AI technology enough that they can just drop him into any movie they want to, right? Probably. I mean, not going to lie, as a guy for the next 20 years or so, yeah, he's he's pretty solid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like, we have a wealth of Chris's. We have no shortage of fantastically handsome Chris's. Yes, I got all that. I mean, Sean Connery was, you know, all the way into his late 60s. So, you know, uh, I'm just saying it can be done. It can be done. But but Hemsworth also is like 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 Chris. Who's Captain America? Chris Evans. Evans. Yeah. He, he simply refuses to do it again. Right. Yeah. He just you can't afford me like they I suspect that if they if Disney threw enough money at him, they might be able to get him to come back and do a cameo. Oh, right? sure. As old Steve or something, old man Steve. Yeah, I'm, I'm but, sure. But but he's pretty much out of it. So now now they have to write him out. And now Sam can become Captain America in a way that's far more permanent than would ever happen in the comics, where Sam was Captain America for like one year. And then they just brought Captain America back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. It's it, they the unique ways they have to find to be able to pass that torch. That's right. That's right. And and. It's- and, and it, those of us that are Young Avengers fans, for example, we've been watching the shows, waiting for signs of the Young Avengers. And this is characters like like Hulkling and Wiccan and Speed and and a lot of the and, and Ms. Marvel, who's getting her own television series. So a lot of these characters are being seeded. And, and what's great is, is you're going to watch those actors age in real time and become the new Avengers 
like literally a generation after the old Avengers and it all mm-hmm. happened in real time. Just kind of wild. Casting yeah, Tom Holland so young was genius. Oh, yeah. It, it, absolute genius. It's it's because, I mean, it, that's how I experienced the... I mean, my Spider-Man was 30 when I was a kid. You know, he wasn't a kid. So I get to experience what people got to experience when they were reading Spider-Man in the 60s. Yeah. I but I I have to say with Loki, yeah, they are missing a huge opportunity. Okay, they don't have an alternate Thor in a future episode played by one of Chris, one of Chris's brothers. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I I I mean, <laughs> it would be hard for it to be Luke because Luke plays the actor who plays Thor and the Asgardian actor who plays Thor in the movies. That's right. Um, but Liam would be great. <laughs> It'd be cool to see him show up playing an alternate Thor. That's funny. Well, if the show was called Thor, you might get that, right? But this is show is called Loki, so we're probably just going to get lots of alternate Lokis. I think mm. it would be funny, and I really hope it. I, I, yeah. I just, I, I mean, we, we did get some alternate Lokis, and I'm sure we're going to get more in the next episode. Yeah, yeah. The for those of you that that have not seen it, we're spoiling. But there's there's a mid credit sequence at the end of the latest episode in which Loki confronts four of his own variants, including kid loki uh alligator loki oh uh, man oh it's not cgi it's an actual alligator oh, god that's awesome I yeah with the loki crown that's I, funny. I don't i don't remember what comic it's from but i'm pretty sure it's basically the loki version of the frog of thunder that's right. that's great oh, uh, god. and there's a there's a black loki with what looks like a mjolnir variant right so it's like what if loki had become thor oh and then there's also a, a, a distinguished actor playing loki from the comics Dressed up in the Loki outfit straight out of the comics. Yeah, I think it's Richard D. Grant. <laughs> yes, it's Richard Grant. Nice. Yeah, and it's wow. it okay. looks like Loki cosplay. Yeah, it exactly. really looks like Loki co- like very well done Loki cosplay, but it That's looks good. like he was pulled right out of the comics. They did a really good job. It, it's good. like the Scarlet Witch and Vision comics uh, costumes from the Halloween episode of WandaVision, right? It's like it's 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 good, but it's also laughable at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we can listen to you talk all day, but that's not the <laughs> format of our show. So why you don't, don't you ask do David that. a question? Uh, uh, so Dave, you already told me a little bit about this game that you're working on, this 5e. Oh, yeah. Anaheim uh, track yeah. dropped out into Faerun, which I, I think is brilliant. I can't oh, it's, it, it, it started, it was Grant's idea to start with, and then he and I started bouncing ideas off each other, and it just grew. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if you wanted to publish it, You'd have to file off all the Disneyland show numbers. You have to create a new amusement. Ab- absolutely, yes. <laughs> Are you thinking about doing that? Is that the plan? No, I'm just playing it with this group of friends I have because okay. we were in, in a we were we were running Dungeon of the Mad Mage and <laughs> they got bored to tears, partially because. <laughs> They weren't used to the straight dungeon crawl. And yeah. the other part was, is a lot, they were newer players. Yes. So I think tying it to something that they can easily recognize yes. is going to help keep their interest. Interesting. Okay. So tell me a little bit about, about your experiences with these published adventures by, by Wizards for 5e. Do you, um, I, like, I've, you like? I'm sorry. Which ones do you like? Which ones do you not like? Like, how well, do you- 
I have so far experienced. Uh, I'm going to be playing in a Icewind Dale campaign that's yeah. starting soon. Um, I have run um, uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist three or four times. Okay, what do you think of Dragon Heist? I like Dragon Heist a lot. Um, okay. It's a great way to introduce people to the setting. Okay. And it is a great way to introduce people that aren't used to playing role-playing games how to play role-playing games. How, why, why is it good at that, if I can probe a little bit? The the way that it's set up is it is somewhat sandboxy okay. and there's a lot of replayability in it because okay. of the different timelines that go on that get chosen as you're going. Okay. So it it has a set set of locations and events that happen, but yeah. the order that they happen in is different depending on which direction in the book you're going. And Or if you're like me, and while you're running it, you go, there's a serious lack of content here. I'm going to make some shit up. Well, uh, yes, as a GM, you're <laughs> supposed to do that anyways, but... <laughs> No, but if you're paying 40 bucks for a book, you kind of expect that shit to be done for you. For the most part, yes, but there are <laughs> glaring issues, and that's true with every adventure you ever play in. There's I, there's always spots that get a little dull sometimes. My my one of my favorite adventure paths of all time is um um the Rise of the Rune Lords, the, the original Pathfinder oh, yeah. adventure path. And I have yeah. to say they deliberately put sections in it that are do whatever you want in this part. Yeah. There's no plan. And I love that about it, that it's like once it says, okay, the party has finished their adventure. There's some time before the next one starts. Feel free to do whatever you want. I, I, I mean, I've used that when I, I've run it a couple times now and you can include a module during yeah. that period, or you can just, you know, you could do downtime or you could do like little mm-hmm. side adventure. I took, I did a side adventure where my, my players took their characters to um, Akaton. Yep. Um, it was, it's, it's fantastic. It's, and there's so much stuff in that region because it's the first region. Well, no, it's not. The first region was around Andoran because of the modules, but it's, it's fantastic. And I, I love, I love adventures that you can run them straight and not do anything extra, (laughs) or you can, it gives you that little section that you can do what you want with it. And that's Rise of the Rune Lord is really good about that. And, and, Mm. There's a few other adventure, but like I think Chris of the Crimson Throne, not as good at it, but it had a few. Well, you're talking about, see, there's there's two very similar but different things going on here. One is just gaps in the story. Yeah, right. There's just, there's just time periods where the, the story is advancing off camera. And so the players can do whatever they want, or you can yeah. just wave a hand and go right to the next chapter. That's that's one thing. But the, the second thing is very different, where it's, okay... We didn't include content that you now must make up. No, oh, that's a horse of a different color. That's a whole different. And I think yeah. that's I think I, that's what Erica was talking about, right? Where you were like, "Are you correct me?" Yeah. To, yes. Yeah, and so no. there's so there so chapter two to chapter three in the adventure yeah. is getting to know the city. It's getting to know the city. Okay. And they don't really give you um, really anything. They give you a basic map of the al- of the immediate alleyway around where your group's home base is going to be that yep. introduces you to the local neighbors. Yep. And they give you a general map of the city yep. and with various points of interest and places they can go. And they go, it's a giant city. If they want to find something, they can find it. Go nuts. 
Wow. Yeah. And, and there was just so so one of the goals in it is that they, they've got to hit the certain goal, but they give you no path to get there. They're just like, here's the people they can talk to. Here's the thing they need to do. And there's like a gap before yeah. that, like they're supposed to like level up to go to the next chapter. Right. And I was looking at that and I was like, well, there's so many different ways that they could do this. Mm -hmm. How do I want to make it happen? Or do I just want to jump them? But it seems stupid to just jump them without having them do anything just to go up another level. Like yeah. it, it's almost like a, like to me, it was like a missing piece. It's like, here's a piece, here's a piece here. And there's like four steps in the middle. You figure that out. You know, and this can, this can be a real challenge because mm -hmm. not only for you as the DM, but for the players, because the players will get a situation where they don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're like, okay, well, we're in this city. We know that there's this thing we're supposed to do, but I don't know how to, they don't know how to get from A to C. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and, and especially if they're a little bit inexperienced or, mm -hmm. or maybe they're just used to more, more, um, holding. Yeah, yeah. More stories. Uh, and they're like, okay, well, I guess I go out into the city and I go shopping or something. Right. They're like, they don't know what to do. Um, yeah. and there, there's a famous, um, advice from Dashiell Hammett when, when you don't know what else to do, have, have a gangster break down the door with a machine gun. I right. kind of did that. <laughs> in one of but, but what many people forget is that in the actual essay where Hammett wrote that, he's not encouraging you to do that. He's saying that's what bad writers do. Oh, well then. <laughs> he's saying that's what he says. Bad writers, they, their plot stalls out. They don't know how to go from point A to point C. This is exactly what you're talking about there. They don't know how to go from point A to point C. And so they just have somebody jump the hero and beat him up. And then they, they leave behind a clue or something, or you can interrogate the MOOC that gets you to the point you need to be at. And it's lazy. And mm -hmm. and and I'm I'm sorry, I'm not critiquing. I'm not. No, I'm not, I know, no. I, I did a lot more. Than, I did a lot I, more than that. I, I introduced I, the halfling mafia. The halfling mafia, and uh, it went from there. I've done this a million times. I myself. have to say, Jason, you're making me. You're you're just putting. You're you're. I, I don't know what the word is. You're you're. <laughs> you're basically convicting me because. <laughs> My my it's called my, getting put on blast, my right? Favorite tactics yes. is if a game is kind of not going anywhere and my players yes. look bored. Yes. Is um the ground opens up underneath the players and they fight something that was burrowing underground. And Dude. I use it all the time. Dude, I, I wrote up a, a couple of wizards for a, a magazine article once, and I said, These guys, the point of these wizards is to be the gangster with a gun in Dashiell Hammett's quote. Like that was the whole point of them was to bash down the door and attack the player characters with wands of fireball. Like that's why I wrote that. That's so great. I am guilty as charged. I am yeah. totally, <laughs> totally. See, I, I did something completely different. I decided yeah. that for them to reach their goal, they're going to have to make friends with everybody. Okay. It's go. It's go I, I'm a player in her game. It's going okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and that, that, that's a, a, that encourages social RP, right? Mm -hmm. And players yeah. into non-combat encounters, which, Oh, they uh, also had the combat encounters because, of course, everybody had a favor. Oh, yeah. You know, as as they do, like side oh, quest. Yeah, essentially, essentially like a yeah, side quest. Absolutely. And yeah, then my yeah. favorite way to do side quests, and I'm probably giving away a lot here, David, is <laughs> I open up the monster manual and yeah. I go, "Who haven't I played?" 
What have I fought? I love it. That's good. <laughs> and I go through and I I pick a monster and then I think about it. I'm like, uh, okay, how would they in how would they come in contact with this thing? Because I had them. They came in contact with mermaids. They came in contact with Katoa. They came in contact with uh, dryads. Oh, like man. I was just like, <laughs> so. So I was going through and um, I was like, okay, so how do they do this? Great. Now, how does that connect to one of these neighbors? All right. And then I just kind of like pieced and it And then together. we ended up having dinner with the Fae. Flipping yeah. through the monster manual to figure out what the what the adventure is going to be is such a classic D&D like, role. Yeah, that's nothing to give away there because that's, that's how you do it. No, I, I just <laughs> think it's wonderful Like because I've done that so many times. Like oh, It's yeah. part of the joy. Like That's why I love the books. I know that nowadays we all have PDFs and we all like we all, we no, all the go physical to, like, books are nice. You know, I, I put the monster manual down in front of me and I just flip through the pages and I look for cool monsters that are the right challenge rating, right? That are like mm-hmm. the right. Yep. Or, or items. I like to take stuff like in 3.5, one of my favorite things to do is flip through the book of vile darkness. Oh, sure. And find an, find an item and they have, they come across it and they got to figure out what to do with it and, and how to overcome it. Like that was, yeah. I, I also like doing that with items. That's good. The uh, deck of many things and, uh, the, uh, and oh the God, not, not, not the deck of many things. Oh, no, the, the deck of game ruining. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I had a player who was, he was convinced he was just naturally lucky. And so whenever I put the deck of many things, he would always try and draw the maximum number of cards because he just knew that he was lucky and he would do well. And how did that turn out for him? Ruin the campaign every single time. Every single time. (laughs) (laughs) You want to know what I did in this one? And David, it's not your character. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you know or not. But I kind of took a a, a, from Jim Butcher. uh, One of my characters found an Iron Stone, which is possessed with a spirit. And now that spirit has possessed that person's mind and they're just kind of floating Uh, in the background. I knew it. And and the (laughs) best part about it uh, is that that particular person who has that stone has never read the Dresden Files. So he has no idea what's going on. And it's been a lot of like, because we're doing it over Zoom, there's like a lot of side chat. Like, I'll be like, you hear a voice or, you know, a vision appears in front of you and dissipates. And and so I'm trying to run the game here because he hasn't said anything to anybody yet. Okay. So I have, I'm like trying to pay attention. And David, this is what happens when you see me over here like this. Okay. So, I see how it I'm is. Tr- I'm trying to run the game and I'm also like, and did it. Yeah, I don't know if it that way. Like, it, like if, a, if a player's got something secret going on, I normally do it with everybody in the room so that all the players can be in on it. Oh, yeah. Or if I'm doing something like that, I'll just pass them a note. Yeah. yeah. Although sometimes I'll do that just at the table. I'll literally just write the note of, I'm writing this to freak everybody out. Just say okay. And I hand it to somebody. <laughs> My favorite version of handing notes out was I was running a superhero game. And I wanted to, you guys remember the Avengers, like the original Avengers, when like everybody quits the team and leaves Captain America alone to build the new Avengers, right? Like that happens like, mm-hmm. like Avengers 4 or something. So I, I start the adventure. I give everybody high level superheroes. Uh, pre-gens. I give everybody high-level pre-gens and I give everybody a separate note and uh, of, of secret information. Mm-hmm. And then we play the adventure. And at the end of the adventure, one of the players slams his note down and says, well, I quit. <laughs> well, everybody's card said that. <laughs> they're all like, I, you can't quit because I quit. And they and, and they all quit. And so, of course, the point was that, that okay, the Avengers have all resigned. <laughs> 
<laughs> the second great. episode, they all make their new characters and they all become oh, the that's, new that's good. Friends, right? That's good. It was fun because everybody thought they were the only person who quit the team. Oh, that's funny. It was a lot of fun. Oh, that's fa- that's a great way of doing secrets that's at the table. Really good. So um we are out of time for topic, but um we can continue to talk about <laughs> Wow, we didn't even go all the way, we didn't we even go all the way all around once. Wow. I know. <laughs> But, you know, like I said, we could listen to Jason talk all day. I have True. no problem with that. <laughs> um, and I, I um, would like him to read the phone book to me later. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, we, just, we should. We, who, who, we, Brian and uh, no, uh, Erica never got a question. David never got a question. On yeah, no, I know. It didn't uh, get to go that far. We'll get far. there. We'll get there. It, okay. I don't. I think it's this okay. might Everybody's be. Everybody's tired of my opinion. I think this might what? be the first time we've never gone around the table. But, you know, what's great is we have a bonus episode that we're going to record. Yeah. And patrons can uh, hear yeah. a couple of extra questions that we didn't get to. But uh-huh. one of the great things about this podcast is we possess science fiction level technology that lets us communicate with other worlds or travel to other worlds and sometimes bring visitors from other worlds. Um, and um, we have had um, contact with a certain time traveling doctor who is um, not represented in any kind, like, like just happens to resemble a, a fictional doctor. This is no copyright here. Uh, um, but uh, I have contacted the doctor. The doctor um, is going to join us to um, talk about um, Loki and some of the, um, uh, the issues that she has with the way time travel is represented on Loki. So, um, I'm just going to push a couple buttons on my device. <laughs> okay. They're they're perfectly silent and um, they're so high tech. They make no noise or sound effects on our show. Um, Why do I smell popcorn suddenly? <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. Starting now. Are hey, you there, doctor? What do you want? <laughs> I, I I set this up with you. I scheduled it to, for you to come on. Um, did you get did you get my messages? I don't know what you are talking about. Um, have so in the time we're on, there's a popular time travel TV show called Loki, and we were hoping to talk Loki, to you about why, it. Why would he have a show? Why would you even care? He's very He's a popular. terrible person. Yeah, well, it kind of depends. Wait, you've met him? Well, of course. He's he. Okay, so so can you go back in time and change your own past? Because this Loki would really want to do that. Like his mother, he accidentally killed his mother. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that? No, no, no. I mean, mean, there there are certain, you know, things in... They just have to happen, right? You have an apex, it must go this way. Like, yeah. yeah. So, you know, there are certain things you can change, but the end result is always going to be the same. Oh, so he could go back and he could try to not kill his mother, but she would still die. Absolutely. Oh, I see. What, what what are you guys trying to get at anyway? So we're we're we we were hoping to talk about this show, um, but I'm more interested that you've met Loki before. <laughs> um, now you know. Yeah. Now that we've gotten that bit of information, that's much more interesting. So he's a very charming guy. I. Uh, so he's a he's a terrible person. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, so when he's Loki, you can never trust anything he but, says. But from my perspective, Loki is mythological. How if there was oh, an that's actual? Just because that is just because you do not remember. I have you guys are of, so short lived. I have a lot of friends. I don't trust a thing they say. They're still my friends. Well, I'm not saying we weren't friends. I'm not <laughs> okay, saying we yeah, no, didn't have a lot of fun. I'm just saying he's a terrible person and cannot be trusted. 
So what are what are some of the things that the lo- like was the real Loki that you have met a god? Well, of course. Okay. Um, this Loki is kind of an alien from another planet. Right? Yes. And, and you've met those way. before. We've talked about that, that you've actually met aliens. Well, yes. He says he's a god, but he's really just kind of a science fiction dude. So so how do how do the idea Yeah, that that that's what I was gonna ask you. Like, how does a god work? Like, is it is it a a creature from another another dimension that with great power? Or or are they from this dimension with great power and they can only be perceived a certain way? How does that work? Or was Stargate have, right? Have you have you ever been blinded by love? Yes. Sadly, yes. Okay. So remember that feeling that being blinded, like there was it was your whole world, right? Like it it existed even if it didn't exist. And that is how gods work. Well, wow. That is an amazing bit of information from the doctor. I just want to say, doctor, thank you so much for joining with us. I'm so sorry that you didn't get our messages. I really don't mean to interrupt any kind of important work you're doing. Oh, no, no. That sweet little girl sent me that gift basket. All is forgiven. <laughs> I'll, I'll need to know more about that the next time we talk. But for now, unfortunately, we're out of time. You know, this has nothing to do with the limits of our technology. We could actually talk to you for hours, but, you know, we only set a few minutes for these segments. So um, we can o- we're only use our, it, you know, even though using our science fiction right, technology is so much in, more interesting. And next time uh, you need to pay me in cryptocurrency. I know where that's going. Yeah, interdimensional fuel ain't free, Brian. We can't do this for hours. Cryptocurrency. I expected better, Doc. I thought, I thought, no. (laughs) The benefits of time space travel is I know exactly where that is going. (laughs) Okay. So thank you, Doctor. It was so good that you could be on. Um, You you have yourself a, 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 a nice time. No pun yes, intended. Yes, yes. Have, have have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Make sure you pay me. Bye. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm gonna contact hey, Amelia to to set Brian, up the. Brian. Huh? Pay her. What? I, I like. There's this whole money. There's probably a good reason. Like, like she needs like Bitcoin for like in the year ten thousand eighty. No, Erica's niece is doing some kind of our internet interdimensional arms dealing, and we get some revenue <laughs> through that. And Erica's daughter, not niece. Yes. Why do you say my daughter, your niece? You're getting yes, confused. yes, yes. Erica's niece, our daughter. <laughs> yeah. It, multiple timelines, confusion. Well, you I mean, know. the more you explain it, the oh, more you make us all accessories after the fact. I have to say, the longer we use this technology, the more words I get wrong all the time. (laughs) Well, that's just Uh, that's just the brain damage. um, I I, it's just so nice to have the doctor on as a guest rather than just someone who just yells at me for messing with the messing with this technology. Well, apparently the gift basket was well received. What gift basket? Are you uh, starting a promotional deal? Or I'm assuming that has something to do with one of Erica's daughters. I Ugh. um like they we, keep we... getting a hold of stuff. I, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> so um, now is part of the show where Jason, you can promote anything you want to promote. Have fun. Okay. Well, so. Um... The Galaxy Exploration Manual just came out for Starfinder. Now, the reason why I want to talk about this book is because it's not just for Starfinder. Like it's the point of the Galaxy Exploration Manual is is 
like all kinds of plot hooks and seeds for planet making making new worlds and new stories to take place in those worlds. This is this is a book for people who want to make their own science fiction or science fantasy setting and then run games in that setting. I fully plan on using it in Fate. There's a whole chapter on sandbox adventures, how to create sandboxes, how to run them. And I wrote that chapter and I'm really proud of it. So Joe nice. asked me to write it. Joe, our, our, our um, uh, lead designer. And, uh, and I talked to a lot of people and I got a lot of, I went, there's a long history of these kinds of writings in, D, in, in, in role-playing games, right? Like how to, how to GM kind of articles and specifically about how to run sandbox adventures. Like, because that's the very opposite of the adventure pass that we normally put out. Like our adventure pass, like Rise of the Rune Lords, like you talked about earlier, right? Like, or the, the other ones that we were, we were talking about, the, the, the Watsi ones. They're, they're very structured. And, and there's a, they may seem sandboxy, and to that extent, some extent that, that might be true, but they turn into a fairly structured plot, especially by the end. Sandbox adventures aren't like that. Sandbox adventures are where you, the players can go wherever they want to go. And you as the GM, you have littered the map with adventures or encounters or just social events. And the players make the story themselves as they explore the world. Uh, and they and they have, and so, well, there's a lot of risks. How to do that? Like, well, think of Starfinder for a minute. Any space game where you've got warp travel or a hyperdrive or whatever. Well, you can go to literally any planet in the galaxy with one push of a button. Okay, now you're the GM. How do you prep for that? <laughs> How do you prep for the players able to go to any planet in the galaxy? Well, the answer is, of course, you don't. You work with the players and you give them a small list, a small number of manageable options, right? Like, okay, what are you guys? What's your stick? Okay, we're archaeologists. Okay, here's three or four star systems where there are ancient ruins. And here's what makes each of them a little different. Like these ruins are underwater and these ruins are really old and these ruins are uh, give off a weird energy signature. Okay, well, uh, oh, underwater sounds cool. Let's do the underwater adventure. But the point is that as GM, you only had to get like a few ideas together rather than prepping for the entire galaxy, right? And then when they go to the underwater planet, you've got like five or six sites on the water planet and, and one of them is small and one of them is large and one of them is inhabited by, you know, undead or whatever. And you give the players one little sort of distinguishing feature about each one of them so that they can make an informed decision about which one to go to and you just plan it one week at a time. Right. All you got to do is get one step ahead. So there's a lot of advice there about how to create that kind of a campaign and how to run it. And a lot of examples of play. We literally create a whole campaign setting in the pages of this chapter. We show you how it's done. That's awesome. So we create like originally I called it the Altair system, but uh, I think we had to rename it. So we we you create this system and it's got adventure hooks in it. We even got a random encounter table. We show you how to like reskin monsters from the alien archives so that you can fit your new original setting. Um, and I, I was kind of inspired by the old Dungeon Craft series. If you remember back in the Dragon Magazine, Dungeon Magazine, before before it came to Paizo when it was an online online digital magazine. Um, Ray Whitaker wrote this series in, in it called Dungeon Craft, where he created a whole D&D setting in the one article at a time. And then when he finished, he went back and started it all over again and made a whole second one. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And it, and, and it was really inspirational, but it was also very specific to D&D in the second edition, pre-third edition days, right? Mm. So he's saying things like, okay, well, number of players. You probably shouldn't have more than 10 players at your table. Eight to nine is a good number. And I'm like, okay, I don't know what kind of game you're running, 
but I'm not going to run Starfighter with eight or nine people, right? <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but that's just one chapter of the book. There's all kinds of other stuff in there, like every kind of like desert planet, water planet, um, radi- radioactive wasteland planet, um, a forest planet, right? And all of them have like adventure seeds built in and unique like random encounter tables and or treasure items or just, you know, random events that happen there. So and there's a whole bunch of tables in the back for things like random starship names, random crew member names. Um, Those are some of the most fun charts to look at. Sometimes. Yeah, and, and useful no matter what game system you're oh, yeah. playing. Right? There's there's a there's a whole section on like making up a sort of character life path for your character. Like nice. like what were you doing before you joined the campaign? Oh my gosh. Uh, like, Important. background generators are always fun yeah 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 like okay important person in your life or a climactic event that happens to you or who it are really your yeah. it really helps with those people that don't that aren't very good at coming up with backstories for their yeah, stuff yeah it's, and also it can be a bit of a useful. challenge if you roll randomly to figure oh out. yeah i love doing that sometimes yeah. anyway so the galaxy exploration manual just came out it's a really interesting book take a look at it other than that um uh I wrote um, I wrote the final adventure in the upcoming Quest for the Frozen Flame adventure path for Pathfinder 2nd Edition, which is set in the realm of the Mammoth Lords. So it's Ooh. like cavemen, you know, cavemen fighting cavemen wizards. Um, nice. Yeah, it's got a lot of sort of Quest for Fire, Clan of the Cave Bear, uh, 10,000 AD or BC kind of feel to it, right? Uh, and I wrote the final adventure for that, which was a lot of fun. Patrick Very Brandon. cool. And I'm writing a Pathfinder second edition adventure that I cannot talk about because it has, but it links into an upcoming hardcover that we have announced. Um, It uses rules from that. Then have you uh, announced what the hardcover is or just, I I think let's not push you into it. If you don't, you're not sure. Guns and gears. Oh, they've announced guns and gears. But I'm writing for the one after that. I think they've announced, but I'm not sure, so I don't want to say the title out loud. No, that's okay, fine. So, um, we can always do that on Patreon. Yeah, and then <laughs> uh, and then uh, my Starfinder adventure uh, for the Horizons of the Vast AP comes out in a few months. So Horizons of the Vast, if you haven't heard of it, is sort of our Kingmaker in Space adventure path. Nice. Where you land on a planet that's doesn't have any intelligent creatures on it and you have to build a settlement and like colonize the planet. But of course there's mysteries, ancient ruins. And of course, why, why is there nobody on this planet? Right? Like we're talking about Starfinder where there are people living in the middle of the freaking sun. Like if people are everywhere in Starfinder, <laughs> how come this planet, which is perfect for living on has nobody on it? Hmm. Could there be a mystery there? The answer is, yeah. um, <laughs> And uh, the answer is yes, or that would be kind of boring. Nope, there's no one there. You plant radishes and everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's not what happens. Uh, Anyway, so that's kind of what I'm working on right now. Um, it's really been very exciting. Like I get to write Pathfinder and Starfinder adventures a lot now. Oh, which that's is awesome. It, it, it really is. Like I, I mean, I, I like developing them. Don't get me wrong, but, um, but getting an outline and then writing a 50,000 word manuscript for it, like because for, for the Pathfinder adventures, I write everything cover to cover, like the, nice. the adventure, everything. And, and it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> So for for extensions curse so you wrote the circus mechanics i so sort of i'll tell you the story behind that okay so 
I don't, I didn't write the article, but I wrote the mechanics that Patrick used for the article. Oh, okay. So if you remember, the extinction curse starts off right away with you have to put on the circus, right? The ringmaster's dead. And it's literally the first, the first thing you have to do is put on a circus. And you have to make these decisions about, okay, which act are we going to put on and what order? Well, I had to write that. I had to write that before the mechanics had been figured out. So I had to make up the mechanics. So, like, okay, well, I base it on the prestige. If you remember the old that movie, the, the, yeah. and, the Christopher and it, Nolan movie. Yeah, the Christopher Nolan movie. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Nolan, like the, 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 who plays the, who's the old guy that, uh, who's Alfred and the Michael Caine. Michael Caine. I can't believe I forgot Michael Caine. He's a genius. Anyway. Michael Caine is explaining how magic tricks work, right? That there's like three steps to that. The, 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 be, the beginning and the turn and the prestige. And, and so I thought, okay, well, let's do circuses like that. Let's say that there's like four parts and you, and I thought, okay, there's three rings. And I sort of figured out, okay, well, like you'll do one in the center ring and then you'll do one in each of the two outside rings. And then you'll do all three of the rings together. And, you know, like let's, or so I, I sort of figured out like that. And, and I figured out how to do skill checks for it to make it all kind of this interesting skill challenge. Like the players, if they players perform, like what do you roll and how do you figure all that out? Uh, and, and so then I turned that in and Patrick, who had to, who had to do the subsystem, was like, well, Jason, you did all the hard work for me. Now I just, <laughs> that. And I just, now he added all of the economics of the circus, right? Like the buying money, getting, collecting money and how much you get from tickets and what do you spend it on and all of the improvements to the circus and all he did all that. And that was a lot of work. I just gave like the skeleton of like, how do circus acts work mechanically? And what is a performance? Because I had to figure that out to do the first part of the adventure. I love I love adventures where the um, where the characters have jobs. It's 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 yeah. one of my favorite things. I, I I think the last campaign I did from beginning to end, they were all um, caravan workers, and I it was gypsy caravan. Well, of course, we did that in Pathfinder. We have a yeah. there's a I forget what the name of the adventure path is where you, you there are caravan rules. There's a whole yeah, substance. it's um, Jade Rigid. And and uh, and Keeley, I think, worked on that because he urged me to look at that when I was working on the merchant rules for Fly Fear Die. But I'll tell you what I was thinking about with it when I was doing the circus. Do any of you remember Riverworld? You ever um, yeah, I, you know, I've never read it. I've seen the movie, but I've never read it. I, I, the series that was on sci-fi. Yeah. Well, Larry Niven's Riverworld is this really interesting idea where everybody who ever lived in the history Great of book. humankind wakes up at the same time after their death on the shores of this enormous river. And they're all 25 years old and in perfect health. And everything they want is given to them by this, these giant machines that line the river. And we find out that the river is one planet. It's got this river that just like spirals all over it. And the whole point of the series is trying to figure out, okay, wait, what, what is going on? Why are we here? How do we all get raised from the dead? Like what the hell is going on? Mm-hmm. Well, there was, a, there was an RPG for River World. It, it was a GURPS source book. Wow. And GURPS Riverworld. And it's it's a wonderful setup. Works very well in GURPS. Hmm. And I played and ran multiple campaigns of it. And in one of these campaigns, we had all woke up on the shores of the river. And, and the local population was mostly made up of ancient Egyptians. And their ruler was Ramses II. Oh, Jesus. And so we were in Ramses's realm and he had he was now Pharaoh again. Awesome. And now our characters weren't Egyptian. In fact, I was playing I was playing the guy that Sherlock Holmes was based on, like oh. the, the British doctor. I forget his name. That uh that that uh I can't Doyle think of his based, name. based the character on. Oh, I've anyway. read stuff about him as amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
we had a guy playing playing Bruce Lee and another guy was playing sitting ball and uh, you know, <laughs> crazy stuff. But anyway, well, the try the, the the across the this is a long story, but I'm giving it anyway. On the other side of the river, the population were mostly 19th century Englishmen. And they had a game that was like baseball, but it wasn't baseball. It was like pre-baseball, right? Like cricket or something. And and there was like a, a star baseball player from the Negro Leagues who had been reincarnated, resurrected in that land. And so mm-hmm. he had basically taught them all baseball. And 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 they had a baseball team and they were playing baseball across the river. Well, Ramses saw that and he was like, well, if they have baseball, then we have to have baseball. And I'm the king and I'm the pharaoh. So my baseball team has to be better than their baseball. So he made us all form a baseball team out of these ancient Egyptians. <laughs> and we played, instead of going to war, we played a baseball game, right? And that was the conflict. And it was brilliant, right? Because it was funny. like non-violent. Yeah. And so we played this baseball game. Of course, we tried to cheat and we lost. And then we had to run for our lives because the Pharaoh was going to kill us because we lost his baseball game. <laughs> but anyway, so I love the circus for that because it was non-violent encounter, right? Where you could do this kind of crazy. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway. Long so story. if people want to find you, yes. where would the best place to do that? Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Dr. Comics. Uh, but I'm. you can also find me on like the Paizo websites if you want to. You can write to me there. But but the easiest and best way to find me is at, at Dr. Comics on Twitter. I also have a blog, um, drcomics.blogspot.com. Uh, but that's that's the main way. Um, yeah, right. Tweet about gay hobbits a lot lately. Oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be checking <laughs> out your blog for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was our show. We we went all over the place. I'm not gonna be able to remember all the topics. We spent a long <laughs> time on adaptations, which I think was the coolest thing. I was yeah. ra- enraptured. I <laughs> and um, but I'm gonna I'm if I'm not careful, I'm gonna keep on talking about it. So <laughs> I just want to say uh, this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. Um, I have been Super Vegan Brian. I was joined by Cursey Smurferka. Hi guys. David the toothpick. Bye everybody. <laughs> and um amazing um writer developer of tabletop RPG, super comic book expert, um, Dr. Jason Tondro. Tondro. It's a delight and a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Oh, it's it's so much fun. I I, uh, I love having you here. I want to have you here. You're a better podcaster than we are. You worry you worry a lot more. You got a lot more technical savvy than I do. Like I'm like, okay, hit the button, record, and that's it. That's the limit of my knowledge. <laughs> this has been Nerd Podcast Radio. If you want more contact, go to patreon.com slash nerdpodcastradio. This has been Super Vegan Brian. Stay nerdy, stay informed, and stay awesome. Stay awesome. Stay awesome. Um, uh, Brian, say goodbye, then cut yourself off. I, I'm, I'm, wow, she was here the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Podcast Radio.